They said, we thought you didn't like the game because you sat there quiet for about an hour with a white face. Because I was just so panicking going, I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, how on earth am I going to write for Mario when you've got Koji Kondo, who is the master? It's been a while since I crossed paths with Grant Kirkhope, the man behind soundtracks for Banjo-Kazooie, Viva Pinata, and Ukulele. And in that time, he has somehow managed to go full circle and write music for a Nintendo game. It's a really good story and obviously means a lot to him, but since his current game projects are under wraps, we actually started with film this time. This is Stephen Kelly, and thanks for joining us for an evening at the Roost. I mean, the things I've done recently that I can talk about is that I did that short animation called The Wrong Rock, um, and that was with uh, Michael Kaywood, who actually was a fellow Rare uh, staff member back in the day when I was there. He worked on the, all the big blockbuster movies, like, you know, Bumblebee and, you know, uh, Pats yeah. Caribbean and all that kind of Planet of the Apes, stuff like that. Um, and he did his done stuff as well. And he sort of said to me, you know, Grant, I've got this short animation happening. Do you want to score it? And I was like, of course, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's super high quality. It's like it's like sort of Pixar-looking, you know, DreamWorks quality. It's amazing. It's actually a film based on with mushrooms as, as a little stars, a little mushrooms. It's like two, it's two rocks, and one of the little mushrooms, and one of the rocks wants to get to the other rock. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. particularly exciting, but it's really a really super feel-good movie with a massive message. And there's no dialogue at all, so the music has to carry everything. So on that, I had to really, had to really you, know, you know, make sure a, a strong theme, which I like to do anyway. And I always say to people, if you've got spare 40 minutes of your time, if you watch that movie, I guarantee you'll walk away feeling better. And Mike's such a great director, and, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's done such a lot of stuff, and he's just, um, he's, the animation is fantastic. I really, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a joy to do that one. I would love to see that. I'll totally check that out after we're done talking. Yes, yeah, on YouTube, yes. I say it's like 40 minutes long, but I guarantee you'll put, it'll put a smile on your face. And also, I've just done a movie called Shadows uh, for a director called Michael Matteo Rossi, who I sort of met in Los Angeles. Very different for me. It's a very kind of gritty, gang, drug-related thing. So it's very uh-huh. synthy. Um, not like you'd expect from me at all. And that's finished. It should be out later this year. And also, I did work on a movie like three or four years ago called The King's Daughter. Ironically, it's, star- it's starring um, Pierce Brosnan and William Hurt and a, a girl called Kaya Scodelario, who was uh, um, in the last parts of the Caribbean movie. Uh, and also in um, uh, Maze Runner. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just done that. So it's actually finally going to see the light of day by the sounds of it. They finally reached, there was some kind of massive fight over it. I don't quite know what it was. So mm-hmm. I did that with two other composer friends of mine, John Coder and uh, Joe Metcalf. We did it together. And we sort of, we sort of shared the scenes out amongst us. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a fantasy, mermaidy, you know, story thing, you know, live action. And it's super cool that it's got Piers Brosnan in it and some big stars, you know. So, um that should be out at some point this year, allegedly. That's what I'm told. So fingers, uh-huh. fingers crossed for that. Amazing. Uh, so how did these, uh, how did these happen? Did you make a um, distinct effort to start doing film and animation, or did they just pop up? So Mike, as I say, was a, was a friend at Rare. Mike Michael Kaywood, a friend at mm-hmm. Rare from. Well, we knew each other at Rare from from back in the day, and he left. I think he left before me. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure who left first, one of us. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, as I say, we kind of hooked up on Facebook, I guess two or three years ago. 
And I, he said to me, you know, I've got this little animation. Do you want to score it? So that's how that happened. Um, mm-hmm. The Shadows movie, which is, you know, coming out this year, uh, Michael Mateo Rossi, he was just somebody on Facebook that started following me, or I started following him, I can't remember. Um, and yeah. then we met up in Sherman Oaks and had a little chat. And he said, you know, because you know, he, he liked GoldenEye and, and the stuff I've done in the past. And he said, I've got a movie mm-hmm. you know, I'm working on right now. You know, do you want to score it? I said, well, I'd love to. So that's how that happened. The, the uh, King's Daughter happened through... One of my wife's friend's husbands uh, works for a media company and mm-hmm. they were involved in The King's Daughter and somehow the composer they had, something went wrong and so they needed music and so he just, he just said, you know, are you available? Like, can you do it? You know, they were really rushed for time. Yeah. So uh, me and uh, Joe Metcalf and John Coder all did it together. So, you know, I think, you know, I've been chasing movies for a while now and a lot of TV too that I've, I've pitched for tons of TV shows and got nowhere near. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be... You know, I know lots of other composers in my similar to me who are, who are trying to do this stuff and, get, and are getting nowhere. It's super hard. Is TV one of those industries that is very tight knit and people have their people? Yeah, exactly like that. And I kind of feel like pitching for stuff doesn't really get you anywhere. So it certainly has got me nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only way to do it is to know the director. It literally is the way to get a movie or a TV show. If you know the director or you know mm-hmm. the producer, they can put your name forward. I think that kind of cold pitching that Disney does quite a lot of. You know, you know, I was talking to actually um, one of the shows that I pitched for um, with Disney. Uh, I actually managed to kind of get to another director guy that was just doing it, and he loved Banjo Kazooie. I thought, oh my god, this is my dream opportunity. He loves Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> yeah. But Disney, Disney do this thing where they send out um, uh, a part of the animation to score to, or some ideas to score to, and they you send your stuff in. And then they remove all the names from the from all the files they get and put them on a disc or whatever, put them on a server and say to the, the, the show producers, here's the mm-hmm. here's the music, pick one that you like. So no one knows who wrote what. Which ah. I guess in, in some respects it's quite good, but in some respects for that for me that instance it was bad. Uh, and so um and I did actually uh, talk to you know, I said, you know, how many submissions do you get? So you get eighty or ninety composers submitting. Oh, okay. Okay. Now you're kind of a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And some composers might submit two or three ver- versions of every tune. Wow. So you can triple it or easily or quadruple it. So if you're that guy who has to search through 80 or 90 comp- you know, submissions to choose the music for your show, mm-hmm. I wouldn't like to do that. I mean, I mean who's going to listen yeah, to all 90? Yes. I, I wouldn't. You might get to the first five and go, I like number two and take that. I mean, that's what I'd probably do. Try, to try and listen to 80 or 90 submissions would drive you crazy, I think. Oh, yeah. By, by, you know, number 50 or 70, you're probably not even listening anymore. You're just trying to get through the stack and only something magical is going to, like, stand out. Yeah. Oh, you've uh, forgotten the one you listened to at the start. You know, it's, it's super hard. So that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. So I kept thinking, I'm just not getting any of these. What's going wrong? Um, am I just terrible? Am I just a terrible composer? Is it quite possible? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, so um, I feel differently about that now. Like, I'm still doing them, but I'm yeah. thinking I'm not expecting to get anything off anything off any, any of that stuff. Uh, I understand that it's uh, it. You know what it actually kind of reminded me of is working on an audio project and having an almost unlimited number of VSTs and um, sound effects and sound libraries to to sort through. And even though it seems like a blessing to have so much at your fingertips, what it actually does is overwhelm you. So the the process gets broken down into a much more formulaic uh, system than you would want. I feel like that's how I would feel if I had 90 composers submitting for my project. Yeah, I totally get that. Like, I, I feel like, 
but I'm writing orchestral stuff, you know, with my sample libraries. It's kind mm-hmm. of a finite palette. You kind of, you know, I use the Spitfire stuff right now. So I know I've got Spitfire winds, you know, brass wood and uh, percussion and uh, strings, and I use uh, true strap percussion. So I know what mm-hmm. that's that's the palette, right? There's nothing bigger than that. But now I've got to write synth stuff, and you open an atmosphere or anything like that. And you've got like you try to find a bass sound. You've got eight million bass sounds to go through before for, before you find one. Yeah, that you like. yes. So I kind of I kind of feel the drawback with the crystal side of it. You, you, you've got to make it out of time so it sounds human, and that's you spend a lot of time doing that. But when you do synth stuff, it's all quantized. It's imperfectly in time. Doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. you just spend so much time being overwhelmed by the amount of patches you have to search for to find the sound that you like. Um, yeah, and I've actually yeah. just got that rolling cloud. Um, thing that you pay 20 bucks a month for and it's got all oh, the old synths cool. the junior 106 and the you know the jupiter and the jx3p and the you know all, all that stuff and the drum machines mm-hmm. and like so i'm finding myself using that a bit more because it's less about pre you know there's presets there but you can fiddle about with it a bit more it looks like a, the synth of the old days that i remember you know so um i quite yeah, like having yeah. that i kind of feel like it's a good it's a good thing to have because the super authentic the way they sound super analog like the, like the original synth did they spent a lot of time getting the modeling right um and it's like messing around with the synth, you know, these twiddling knobs and hoping, that, hoping for the best, you know. So I quite like that, where atmosphere is great for when you want to get in there and find some, you know, um, a crazy sort of um, background noise or something like that, like an ambient sort of, you know, spooky thing. There's tons mm-hmm. and tons of that to kind of search through. So I do find both the two sides, orchestra and the synth, have got their own problems, you know. I remember I was looking through the archives to kind of do a little bit of, uh, prep work for this episode and last time we had talked you were just wrapping up uh, Drop Zone Have you been doing more or less synth work since then? I think I'm still doing more orchestral right now. Okay, cool. Uh, I did really enjoy doing drops, and I guess it's a shame the game kind of tanked almost immediately. It wasn't the game actually; mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a publisher that owned it, running out of money, so this kind of went yeah. away. Because um, it got great reviews, and you know, playing it in uh, Gamescon in Germany, that people were going crazy over it. Yeah, but I mean, I liked in that score because it's it's a super powerful kind of violent score. I felt. Um, you know, it's like it's you know it's full of synth and orchestra stuck together. So it was it was cool to do that. I've done that for a while. Yes, so I think I still do predominantly do orchestral stuff at the moment. Uh, I'm working on some orchestral stuff right now, um, and I'm about to start something else that's orchestral right now. Cool. I, I do like doing both. It's fun. I really do like it. You know, they've, they've, as I say, they've both got the problems, and it's it's um, it's nice to have a bit of variety. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I, I don't know what I've, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do really like orchestral stuff because you, you know you might get that chance to go and record it with live orchestra, which is always fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing like that for a composer. That is for me. That's the ultimate. You know. I always remember. I don't know if you know Neil Neil A. Creep. He's done like uh, do. uh, Overwatch and, and a lot of Blizzard games, and um, he produced a video um, for uh, an MMO that he worked on where he recorded the whole um, orchestra playing to his his conducting and. Just to to see someone up with their own music for a game and the whole room 
like everyone playing their little part right in front of his eyes was just it was thrilling it was such a cool thing to see you know i think the whole human being part of that is a bit that makes it so special because mm-hmm. you know people just naturally do things like screenplays naturally have little crescendos and diminuendos when they're playing something that's because the way they feel it as they're, as they're playing it right that you just can't get yeah. into the midi you know or at least yeah. at least you, you could do a blanket for the whole section but you've got every little person in that section doing their own little thing which gives it that character and i think that you do it's hard to get that from the samples to make it sound so human. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you do miss that. And that everyone's a little bit out of time. It's especially in the string section, everyone's intonation is just a little bit different to everybody else's, you know, because you've got like umpteen strings out there, mm-hmm. not going to be in the same note exactly. You know, so I do feel like that's such a special thing. Um, and, yeah. you know, right now I feel like it's irreplaceable. Uh, it's it's like the human voice. I've never had anyone take a live instrument to music that I've uh, written, but I have had many people read scripts for, you know, um, dramas and, and whatnot that right. I've written. And when you hear someone's interpretation, as slight as it might be, it suddenly becomes real and human and out of your control to an extent. Yes. And it just makes everything, it makes you more excited to go back because it's almost like an exchange of ideas. It's like having a conversation. Yeah, totally. I think that the human element is still still tops for me, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, just quick aside, my personal favorite orchestral, uh, live orchestral stuff you've written, still Viva Pinata, although Kingdom of Amalur was beautiful as well. I feel like Viva Pinata was really special for me at the time. I kind of, that was, it was you know, I knew that my time at Rare was going to be coming to an end by the time I'd started Viva, Viva Pinata too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess it was that chance for me just to, pour my heart and soul into something like I really felt like it was different for me that kind of score that first one mm-hmm. and you know I've got that love of you know Vaughan Williams and Elgar and Benjamin Britten that kind of classic sort of Englishy William Walton you know yeah. British countryside thing and I just felt like I got the chance to really have a go at that you know in Viva Pinata um, and yes, that's yeah. and obviously I'm not saying I've got anywhere near as, as close to those geniuses but you know in my own little way I, I tried my best to try and make it as good as it could be and I really felt like you know, I poured my heart into that one and every, every note of it kind of, I, I like writing music like that, that kind of pastoral, whatever you want to call it, stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, and the live orchestra part was, they played it beautifully and it was just, you know, you know, I got that BAFTA nomination for that, which was just amazing, you know. So, yeah, I kind of feel like I really, you know, I really treasure writing that music. And, and also Kings of Amalur, that was another, that was another sort, of, another sort of landmark for me when I was, that was the first time that I thought to myself, you know, I needed to push the boat out for this one, try to, try to make it bigger than I'd made it before. I'd never written music mm-hmm. of that scale before. Um, and yeah. to get a big RPG, you know, that kind of Harry Potter, Lords of the Rings sort of thing, you know, I began to think, you know, I need to step up my game here. I need to be better than I was. And so mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I've, and I, I told you before that, you know, I listened to the, Harry, the first three Harry Potter soundtracks, you know, literally every day for four years. I'm not exaggerating. <sighs> in, every day in the oh. car, I listened to the first wow. ones by Williams, the first three, you know, um, listen to those in the car, going to work every day for four years and the weekends because I wanted to try and understand what he, what he was doing and try to, yeah. you know, in my own little way, get close to it. I mean, now I didn't get that close, but I got, I got as close as I could. first boss piece that I wrote was called Baylor uh, and that's like a really big that's when the first time I thought right I really need to try and do this now and if I can't do it then I'll, I'll understand that it's beyond me 
Um, mm. And so that's that was the first time I thought, you know what, maybe I really can write something of this scale and get it to that level that I'm happy with. Um, so, you know, so I was mega chuffed to do that game. And, I, I, you know, I really went for it on the boss pieces, thinking I, re- I need to make everyone as big as I can be, as, as interesting as I can. Like, every bar needs to have something in it that isn't just wallpaper. It needs to be, you know, something going on in some section somewhere in the orchestra. Yeah, it, it's a very active piece. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like that was my, my the landmark of me to go, you know what, maybe I can do this. That's when I started thinking to mm-hmm. myself, you know, maybe I could do movies. Maybe I could do something a big, you know, because, you know, like, I felt to myself, maybe I could do Harry Potter if it, got, if it offered to me. If it, obviously, it never will be, but I felt like, you know, maybe I could do it. It may not be great, but I could do it, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> so that was, like, a real moment for me to, in, during that game. It sounds like the projects you take on really sort of inspire you to push in different directions. So do you have time to just work on music as a hobby for just whatever you feel like, or is all your music time for projects now? So usually I've got no, I've got no time or interest really. I know that sounds bizarre. Um, Cause I feel like I do music, uh-huh. all, music all the time. I just, I don't feel like I'm, I want to write music outside of the, what, you know, the work that I do. Um, I have a friend called Ian Bousfield. Uh, we knew, we've known each other since we were like 12 or 13. We both played in the North Yorkshire School Symphony Orchestra years ago. He's a trombone mm-hmm. player. And Ian literally is the best trombone player in the world. I'm not exaggerating. He is like, if you type his name into Google, you'll find he's just, he's principal of the LSO, principal of the, the, the anything Philharmonic, you know, you name it, he's done wow. it. And we've been mates for a long time. We kind of lost touch, I guess, in our 20s and 30s and 40s, probably just because he was busy and I was busy and we just, you know, you just forget. But his, mm-hmm. his wife contacted me to say Ian's coming up for a birthday, whatever it was at the time. We tried to collect some quotes together from his old friend for a bit of a laugh, so I wrote a little quote. But um, he's a Yorkshireman. I guess I'm sort of, you know, Scottish Yorkshireman because I was born in Scotland but lived in Yorkshire all my life. So he's a very Brunton, mm-hmm. uh, Brunton brash, I always say. And he messaged me yeah. on Facebook to say, you know, says, he says, Grant, I think your music's quite good. Why don't you write me a piece? And I was a bit like, ooh, uh, I've never done a solo piece before, let alone a concert work. Uh-huh. So he said, come on, it's going to be the International Trombone Festival in, uh, in Redlands in California. I think it was 2017, 2018, I forget the year. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to do it. Why not? So I said, yeah, I'll do it. So um, we came up, I came up with this piece. It's like a 12-minute long piece. It's called Kirkfeld. It's kind of a, 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 our names together. He's Bowsfield and Grant Kirk Hope. So it's kind of, and he's, yeah. he lives in Switzerland now. There's a place there called Kelfeld Kirk, something like that. So we switched it around to make it Kirkfeld. Cool, uh, cool. And I wrote this piece, and it's uh, for wind band. I've got wind band and brass band and uh, piano reduction done. Um, and he performed it at the, the trombone festival, and it was just fantastic. Like you know, I've just loved it so much. And it's literally just just come out on. It's on Spotify right now. You can find it if you've gone looking for it. So that's, my, so that's my very first concert work, and I really liked writing it. And it was a bit of a strange process for me because I'm so used to working for somebody else where I send off versions to people and they, and they talk about it and say, yeah, we like it, change this, change that, mm-hmm. start again, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you write a bona fide concert piece, there's no one asking you to do that. You just got yourself to please. It's, it's, it's so freeing and also slightly scary because mm-hmm. you're, uh, yeah. yeah, you're never asking anybody, do you like it or not? And I was sending versions to Ian, kind of midi mock-ups, and he was just going, yeah, great. I was thinking, this is a bit strange. No, one, no, no one's saying, can you do it again? <laughs> there must be something terribly wrong here. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, but it went out, it went on great. He's played it around the world a few times. Um, it's it's kind of picking up steam now. It's taking a little while to get the, the actual recorded version out of him playing it with the, with the Belgian uh, RAF uh, band, not RAF, um, Air Force band, who are fantastic. 
Um, so that's that. But from doing that, I also, um, there's a guy called Charlie Vernon, who's the bass trombone player of the uh, Chicago Philomo- uh, Symphony, which is amazing. Mm. He heard it. It was at the, it was at the performance of Grant. Would you mind? Would you want to write me a piece? I was like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, this is like second world famous trombone player. You know, so I've done a, <laughs> done, I've done a, I've done a tenor trombone, but I'm now going to do a bass trombone. So I finished that too. And that's called Kirk Vern because he's Charlie Vernon. So that's done. He was going to perform it um, this year uh, premiere in April, but because of the virus, it all got put back. So he hasn't done yep. the, he hasn't done the premiere yet, but it's done and finished. Um, so. Any tr- budding trombone players out there, uh, those two pieces are available from Super Brass Music in the UK. And also Super Brass Music, are the, is the, there's a publishing company that's owned by an old friend of mine called Roger Argenti. He was also the bass trombone player in, for 25 years in the, in the Royal Philharmonic in the, in the UK. So uh-huh. all my kind of old brass playing friends are all, you know, kind of from, from years ago. But yes, yeah, so that, that was, to do those two pieces has been amazing. So I am really committed to now, I feel like I've shared out a symphony. Um, I don't know how, when I'll do it. I don't know when I'll get around to it. I kind of feel like I need to write one symphony at least to leave behind mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm dead and gone. So when I'll do it, God knows, but I really am determined to write a symphony. I'm going to call it Cacophony because my company yeah. name is, my company name is yeah. Cacophony and I kind of feel that's my kind of play on the word Cacophony. So it's going to be called, going to be called Cacophony. That's lovely. I, that is delightful. That, that's like, that's some of my favorite stories to hear. Like, it's like we were talking about before. It can be frustrating when you're limited by who you know, but some of the best stories just pop up without you even looking for them and people just bumping into each other. Uh, That's one of the big reasons uh, we started podcasting again, because we took about a, I don't know, like a two-year break from doing video game music podcasts because we kind of burned ourselves out for a while. And we realized that all these connections that we had made up started to sort of break apart and sort of dissolve and we're like no the like completely random and wonderful opportunities that open up when you just start to talk to people is something we wanted to keep alive so we're like okay get back in the studio call grant kirkhope we gotta start this again and i almost do feel that that a lot of the lot of career things are just chance just look right place right i know it sounds crazy but i mean i know from doing the amount of pitching that i've done for anything over in la over here and got nowhere near any of it yeah, you know, yeah. other things pop up that you don't think about. And I, that just out of the woodwork, you know, I, I do think that sometimes it, it just is that because there's so many people, composers trying to get work, you know, like there's so many, there's so many great, fantastic composers out there, you know, yeah. way better than me, um, you know, that are also struggling. It just, I just think that, you know, we all know fantastic composers who get nowhere and some composers that aren't so great that get very far. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just probably down to people that they know. They met somebody, know someone through somebody else. It's a, in some respects, it's a little bit sad, but it seems to be that that is the only way that you get ahead is by some fluke thing that happens to you. Well, especially in an industry as young as video games, because right. that was just right time, right place. Put it in history books. That's the definition. Yeah. Like, I- whether you're talking about development, the like games writers. I remember trying to do that when I was younger. Uh, and even music like so much of it is just hey i've got this guy that i know and he owns a dev kit for this thing and so now i'm in, I'm in basically yeah and i think I, I do think it's very much like that and i do feel like it's 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 more about the person that you know likes you and thinks you're amicable and can you get along and they know they've been in no trouble i think that yep. counts for an awful lot i think that a lot of the time people can't be bothered to look any further than that and just go, look, you know a guy, he's a good guy, we get, mm-hmm. we have a, he's a good laugh, we, we have a good relationship with him, let's just use him. And I think that just yeah. go, you know, and I think that sometimes is why 
we do end up with some kind of diluted music sometimes that isn't fantastic, particularly great in movies and games mm-hmm. and TV mm-hmm. because the guy's done it for a lot of years and everyone knows him. Um, and, right. you know, it, I think that's the it, way it can it's turn a, out. It's a very, very safe and comfortable bet and you know you're going to get something quality that people have proven that they like and that's sometimes all people need when they're starting a new project especially if it's a risky project yeah definitely so you know i guess we're on the same boat at the end of the day um i guess mm-hmm. that the point is if you, when you do get that chance make sure you're good enough to do it and you put your all into it so you really get to the, get the next thing you know yep then you get those special people who have that unbelievable talent who are also in the right place at the right time right and that's when the magic happens. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think they're doing Mario Rabbids with Davide Soliani um, and the audio director, Ramar Brio. Like, those guys, they're, you know, they're massive music fans, particularly, you know, Koji Kondo, that, that kind of classic Nintendo thing. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. their passion about the music pushed me further to do things that I maybe wouldn't do before or different style of music. Um, so I yeah. feel like, and they're really, they're really, every note of that music has those two guys in it um, because they poured over every bar every note and said they're like that we don't like this you know to get it the way they wanted it to be and i do feel like you do meet those people um and it's it's very lucky you know after rare i maybe didn't think i'd meet anybody like that again um but mm-hmm. those guys it was of milan you know and uh, romans at uh it was of paris um you know super super musical guys who really care about the music you know so this this is something that we didn't get to talk about last time because it, it hadn't been announced yet but you right. did the music for the mario and rabbits game um t- like, tell me a little more uh, about that how did you land that gig uh, i got an email from uh, uh jean marco zana who's the producer at Ubisoft milan through linkedin i mean you know i never get anything from linkedin i don't know why people bother with it really <laughs> it's that thing that you kind <laughs> yeah. of think, you think you should do but so i so, said you know dear mr kirk we have a game here we think that you might be suitable for are you interested? And I was like, of course, you know. So I, was, mm-hmm. I got the NDA signed, took a little bit of time to do that. And then I got a, that, the, the email that was like, it was called Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And I was like, oh, Rabbids game. And I, you know, I thought the Rabbids are cool characters. Uh, my mm-hmm. kids watch the cartoons. And I kind of feel like they, they're minions before minions happened. Exactly. That's what I've been saying for years. Yeah, no, but, but they are, they're so are the minions. And they, you know, they're, they're such a funny character. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I thought, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, you know, so we got the, the initial thing out of the way and um, they wanted to fly me to Paris to meet with Davide, came from uh, Milan and I met with the guys at the Paris studio. And I got, I got met when I got there, I got taken through the back of the building, through lots of security doors. I was thinking, this is a bit strange. You know, usually uh-huh. everyone, uh-huh. rabbits is not a secret, right? Everyone knows about rabbits. So anyway, through, through the back of the studio, then to a side room of the back studio, um, uh, and Davide was sat there, and Ramar, and uh, and uh, oh, Isabel Ballet, who's the other audio piece of person on the on the game. Mm-hmm. And um, so we better show you the game, right? You know. And when I got there, I noticed that Mario stood on the screen when Davide turned the TV on. And I thought, oh, perhaps I've just been playing a Mario game, you know, the, the, while I got there because I was a bit late. Yeah. And, and he started to move Mario around, and I said, uh, well, "What's this?" Then he said, oh, well, "It's a Mario game. Has no one told you?" And I was like, "What? Like <laughs> no? Like that was the first I'd heard of it." <laughs> So they sort of said uh-huh. to me. They said to me that they said you, we thought you didn't like the game because you sat there quiet for about an hour with a white face. Because <laughs> I was just so panicking, going, "I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, how on earth am I going to write for Mario when you've got Koji Kondo, who is the master, and he's mm-hmm. done it. He's done it for all those years and written all those and, amazing and, tunes. And everybody who takes the next Mario throne, the next Mario game, seems to be someone from internal Nintendo, personally groomed by Koji Kondo. Like, that's yeah. the kind of rumors you hear. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think I'm the first Western composer to ever compose a Mario. 
that's anyway, incredible. I mean, <laughs> that's really know, cool. I'm not sure, but I think so. Um, I, I was just thinking, you know, it was kind of half exciting, half dread. You're thinking, I'm never going to do it. Yeah, they're going to find me after the first piece. I'm just not going to get going to get anywhere near it. Um, so that was a massive shock. But I mean, it, it did turn into a fantastic experience. I mean, David is. Soliano's a great guy. Roman's a great guy. We get along. We still get along to this day. We're still yeah. having, having laughs and jokes over email stuff right now. You know, so um, that was a really rewarding experience to write for that. And also, I remember prior to the game's launch, quite, there was quite a lot of leakage and there was quite a lot of stuff got out there about the game and everyone was going, oh my God, what a stupid idea this is. Mario plus the rabbit, it's going to be a disaster. So it was mm-hmm. quite demoralizing for the team to see those things all over the place. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't talk about it, of course. But like the thing about my rabbit is it's not to really play it that you realize it's such a fantastic idea. Like it's so crazy and it's just, it works out so mm-hmm. well. And having the little rabbits pretending to be like Mario rabbit as, and as, and as a, you know, a Luigi rabbit and a princess peach rabbit, you know, like, you know, they try to copy the characters cause they look up to them all the time. I, I still haven't played the game, but I've listened to the whole soundtrack. I've seen uh, plenty of gameplay snippets and all the trailers. The thing that kind of sticks out to me about that is the game is completely absurd. It is an absurd idea, but the developers clearly know that. So they have so much fun with it that it turns out being very knowing and uh, sort of cheerful in that way. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, you know, David had like, I think three months to put a demo together to show it to Mr. Miyamoto, which is, uh-huh. which is, which is crazy. Like he did it in Unity and he um, put a little demo together and he flew to, I think, San Francisco to show Mr. Miyamoto. And Mr. Miyamoto, Mr. Miyamoto loved it. Like, he, I mean, David was, you know, wow. absolutely... Yeah frightened to death to have to actually meet with him and show him something, you know, because Mimoto yeah. is Davide's hero completely. Um, you know, so just, you know, what a spectacular thing to come up, come up with, put to put together. And Nintendo said to Ubisoft, you know, Davide said, you, you, know, you can break Mario like we can't, we can't break him, but you can. Don't do mm-hmm. things that we do. We don't need to jump in on anything, anything any platformy stuff. Do something different with him, you know. So he gave him a gun. I mean, giving Mario a gun is ridiculous, right? For, you know, like a mm-hmm. kind of, kind of game that all the rest of the characters do. Even Princess Peach has got a gun, right? You know, it's like crazy. Yeah. So that whole, and also I feel like when it finally got that announcement at the E3 and uh, Mr. Miyota came on stage and even though I knew he was, he was there, I still jumped out of my skin when he turned up. You know. um, <laughs> that was, yeah. that was such an, we both sat there, you know, and it, it was such an amazing experience that E3 because everyone went, oh my God, this looks fantastic. And we kind of it came away from that E3 like sort of shell-shocked after the, the, the showing at the Orpheum Theatre. Me and David went across the street just to get a sandwich. We both kind of sat there looking at each other like this complete silence going, what just happened, you know? Yeah, that, that must have been some sort of shared dream. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we're both sort of in tears of it and, you know, it was, it was so fantastic. and Amazing. Yeah. It, it's also, I, you've probably thought about this a hundred times, but I, it really just occurred to me now that back in the day with Rare, you were making these, these Mario 64-like games and you had a really close relationship with Nintendo uh, on the N64. Uh, then you moved away from Rare, and you had no reason to believe you'd ever get anywhere near Nintendo again. Absolutely, and yeah, totally. Suddenly, you walk into Ubisoft's office. I know, and it's Mario. For God's sake, I, mean, I just could not <laughs> believe it. And then we did the DLC that was Donkey Kong. That was like back to Donkey Kong. Yeah, I never thought to, and I got to re- revisit some of the old tunes. You know, and also when I did Princess Peach Castle for Mario Rabbids, Daddy said, "You know, we'd like to use the castle theme from Mario 64." When I love oh. that theme, and I remember. Being at Rare, we, when the N64 first came out, we all got N64s free from the company. And that was, obviously, we all had Mario, the, first, the 64, the first game. We all, and we all thought the game was fantastic. And I mm. remember thinking, remember that theme from that castle theme from that, from that game is so good. And yes. then Devil said, you know, we, you need to use that. I was like, oh, God, how, you know, not only have I got to now 
right from Mario, but I've got to take one of Koji Kondo's own pieces of music and try and arrange mm -hmm. it, you know, in with my stuff. I was like, this is going to be a disaster. Um, you know, I'm going to make a such a mess of it. Um, uh -huh. But it turned out great in the end. I mean, it, you know, it, it was one of the best pieces of the game, I think, that, that you know, I kind of, I kind of took bits of that and, and, you know, cut it up and put it next bits of mine so it, it, throughout the piece, you know, so it kind of goes from Kondo to me and Kondo to me. And it worked out great in the end of it, but that was one of those moments where you just kind of think, this is bound to go wrong, so I'm just not good enough to do this. It, it turned out beautifully, though. You you really treaded that line elegantly between sounding like you and honoring the original source material. It was great stuff. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, it was super, super scary to try and do that. But I kind of feel yeah, like... Yeah, I can that, imagine. But that game, I feel like when people finally played it, especially the journalists, they all said, you know, we really feel the passion in the game. And I think that... That's, you can't manufacture that, right? That's just something the team has to feel. And I don't even know where it mm -hmm. comes from or how you get into mm -hmm. a game. It's in the animations, it's in, in the music, it's in everything. The, the sound effects, you name it, right? Um, but I think that Ubisoft Milan hold Nintendo in such a high esteem that that was a perfect yeah. team to get to do that game because it all absolutely was scared to do, put one foot wrong. They were so... They loved Mario and the, and the Nintendo kind of, you know, you know like all the characters so much. Um, yeah. They just... They all poured the heart and souls into that game, and that's why I feel it was such a success and why it was so passionate. You could feel it when you played it, because mm -hmm. I remember when Davide did the demo. Um, Miyamoto said to me, uh, "Did you get the, the animations from Nintendo?" And Davide said, "No, no, no, we did it by hand." So they actually analysed the, the, anim the animations of Mario and all the characters by hand. Um, oh yeah. And when he saw it, he thought it was the actual Nintendo animations. I mean, I thought that was amazing for the artist at Ubisoft Milan to realise that Mr. Miyamoto actually was thought it was so good it was the Nintendo animation set. Um, so that was I thought it was incredible that you know to work so hard to get that exactly right yeah that's pretty fantastic yeah so I feel like it's just one of those games like, I mean, a bit like Banjo-Kazooie right team right time you know it's just the right yeah. people to do it who loved doing, the, loved doing the game got the humour got all of it and stuck it together it was great you know I love that Miyamoto story um, and considering your pretty long music career at this point have you had any other sort of meeting your heroes moments well, I've been in the same room as John Williams a couple of times, but I was too scared to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts, though. I know, uh, yeah. It was, I mean, kind of, I stood quite, I stood as close as I dare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. So I kept thinking, right now, go, go and talk to him. But he, was, he kind of got mobbed because everyone was trying to talk to him. Yeah, that's that's the thing is you don't want to be a bother, but you also really want to make a connection with someone you know. you know care about. And I just want to shake his hand. That's all. I'm happy with that. You don't have to, you don't have to talk to me. Just to shake my hand. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I guess that's as close as I've got. Um, someone like that. Um, yeah, I mean, being in, you know, that close to John Williams and Miyamoto, I mean, I think you can wrap it up, call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a chance to play games anymore, or are you mostly just doing the music for them? So I was playing World of Warcraft Classic for, uh, quite recently. Oh, really? Me too. Yeah, but it was at Rare, I played World of Craft a lot, actually. I used to, play, I used to oh. dash, dash on from work and get online in time to be in a raid and all doing that stuff. So I played that a, a lot of years, that game. Yes, um, yes. Uh, and I, I, I yeah. just got to jump in here real quick and say that is one of my favorite um, meeting the hero stories. Y years ago, like in 2014, when, when we started 
uh, doing our video game music podcast for the first time, one of our first guests was Jason Hayes, who who did the soundtrack to the original World of Warcraft. Uh, we were flabbergasted that he responded to our email and was so kind. He's such a cool guy. No, Jason's a super nice guy. Like we, we, we're friends. Uh, when we did the, oh, fantastic. When we did the um, the Mario Rabbids uh, Donkey Kong DLC uh, unveil at the E3, must have been 2018, I think, um, Davide Soliano said, I'd like to do a live band. And I was a bit like, what are you crazy? It's E3. You're never gonna, how are you going to set up a live band in time, you know, at the, at the Ubisoft press conference? You know, because things go so fast. Yeah, yeah. He said, no, I wanted to do it. So I said, well, I said, look, it's up to you, mate. I'll have a go. But I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced. So I started writing the music for the trailer thing they sent me. And I kind of did a first few versions. Derek goes, no, 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 I don't want it like that. I want it to be like Tom and Jerry, that kind of Mary Melody's cartoon thing where every little movement's got, you know, music over the place. It's all, you know, so, so it's like, everything, little look, every little thing. I was like, oh God, how am I going to do that? Yeah, something really easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's which made it all completely, you know, a billion time signatures all over the place, trying to get things to fit, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, tricky. I said, well, you know, how are we going to do it live? I said, you said, well, so what we, what we can maybe do is have a few players live and I'll do like an orchestral backing that would play on a click track along with it, you know, for the mm-hmm. big moments. I think I said that I think that's doable. So yep. I remember Jason Hayes had that band Critical Hit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I said to Jason, you know, we, Jason, we knew each other. I said, you know, Jason... I got this idea. Do you want to do it? He's like, "Yeah, we're in." So, um, <laughs> so I, I wrote the piece for the kind of you know, you know, uh, it was like violin, flute, uh, metal guitar, uh, mm-hmm. piano, drums, uh, and Jason two on keyboards too. So I think that was I think that was all of them. Uh, yes, I mean, I'd actually need to Strauss played the metal guitar, who's like a very fam- very famous kind of a, you know female metal guitarist who plays for Alice Cooper. So she did it. So we're all you know together doing that. I mean, and like you know, and they said to me, "Yeah, that's great." Now. We need you to conduct. I said, "What? Like, you know, I haven't conducted anything for like twenty years, if not more, if not longer than that." I said, "You must be joking, Devil." He said, "No, no, you have to do it because you're the composer. It'll be great." I was like, "Oh Christ!" So not, so not only did I write this kind of complicated piece of a billion tab signatures, and now I've got to try and conduct it. I thought, you know, if I'd known that in the first yeah. place, I probably wouldn't have made it quite as difficult. Mm-hmm. You have to put your money where, where your mouth is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I sent Jason the parts. Jason got the band rehearsed up. We had, a few, uh-huh. we had a whole weekend. I think the thing was on the Monday. We rehearsed on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday every day in the in the theatre. Rehearsed getting the band in and out quickly and all wearing click tracks and headsets and all that kind of stuff, you know. And like, you know, it went well. It went great at the end of it. But I mean, it, it was just one of those things where, you know, it was great knowing Jason's. I could get that band straight away and, and, and it was going to work, you know. Um, so, um, no, I'm just, mm-hmm. just me waffling away. But yeah, Jason's a great guy. He is just one of those generous people who just says yes every single time he can. Yeah, no, he's a super nice guy, Jason. And also, yeah. I think you forget that all those really memorable Warcraft themes from the very first game are all him. Like, like, yes. he, like he really yes. wrote that stuff, like brilliant stuff. Also, with a very limited um, sort of MIDI uh, situation, because back in the day, it's easy to forget, but World of Warcraft was not a fully orchestrated score at all. Yeah. Uh, they had some serious limitations uh, back in the day, and he did a beautiful job. Yeah, because when I was playing it originally, my son was like probably two or something like that. And now he's like yeah. 17. So we played it together. So that oh, was, it cool. was so fun thinking that, you know, I, I went revisiting it again. We didn't get all the way through it. We played it for quite a long time. And it was so cool playing with him. Um, you know, that's, that's something that I think, God, you know, how times have changed. Um, uh, he's, a, he's, a, yeah. he's, a, he's a mega gamer. He just, he just spends most of his time online. And I guess it's my fault. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, we played it together. That was really good to do that. So how does, how does the younger generation feel about wild classic no he loved it yeah, he loved it. I mean, yeah i think max he's called max he sort of plays um he goes between overwatch and um 
Rise of League of Legends. Um, okay. Also, uh, he's just been playing Valorant. Um, and oh, he, he, yes, he yeah. He plays that as well. And so he played Anthem a bit, I think. And also, um, he likes to play with his friends. And that's, you know, that, I guess the thing, they all get together at night time play, play a game where they can all play together. So, you know, they do a lot of that. Yeah. But he's still a massive Nintendo fan. He still spends time playing you know, Mario stuff and... Oh, good. Yeah, that's a proper upbringing. Yeah, to Animal Crossing, like he does all that stuff. So, you know, he's not just an online gamer. He just play... He still likes to go back to just sitting with his Switch and playing by himself. Um, so uh, my daughter too, she plays Animal Crossing and Roblox and stuff like that. So... Um, cool. Yeah, we are gamers. Yeah, you definitely have games in the in the DNA. Um, have you heard the soundtrack for the new Paper Mario game yet? I have not. Is it good? It's fantastic oh. it's just like will knock your socks off i highly recommend you check it out yeah i definitely will um, definitely it's it's jazzy it's unexpected they even like have electric guitar parts for the battles it's wild awesome no i'll check it out yeah, yeah I, mean, I feel like some nintendo make their own music you know it's, it just it's so identifiable when it's them like no yeah. one sounds like that no, no matter what you do no one sounds like them Whatever it mm-hmm. is, however they get, where they get the composer, I don't know where it is. They always they've got that sound that's so recognizable. Like I say, it's slightly poppy, jazzy. You know, they just got that off to a T. That's one of the reasons that I didn't try to do poppy jazzy for Mario Rabbit because I knew there was no point me doing it because a I yeah. can't write it. It wouldn't be as good as them as I waste, I'm wasting my time doing that. You know, it would sound terrible. So they're so good at that. It's brilliant. Yeah, they have. They seem to have this process of passing things down through the generations. This secret wisdom that they dole out and yet at the same time they're constantly pushing forward it's very inspiring yeah definitely i really appreciate you taking the time grant it was as always delightful to have a conversation no, it's nice, it's nice to be asked. Thanks for asking me.